0: Thanks. And can you put the picture up of our seniors? We have a bumper crop this year. Seniors, high school seniors. (laughs) High school seniors, yes. We have college graduates for sure. And we love them and celebrate them as well for sure. But these are, you know how it is for a family when it's high school. And so uh, the best, Lisa was here singing. And and so, you know, it's a big crossing for JT, her, her son, and their son, their family. (laughs) <laughs> and julia white and the whites will also be here in the second service as well as jt will be here for that so we just wanted to celebrate them and remind you to pray for them to think of them and encourage them if you get an opportunity right was yeah that you know? absolutely excellent i don't know if you paid attention to the last thing mark said was go find somebody you don't like and give them a hug and I couldn't figure out why the worship team raced down the stairs to give me a hug. <laughs> and several of them came to you, by the way. I That's just what I'm talking about. They yeah, came to yeah. me to give right. me a hug. <laughs> okay, we have some very important announcements on the back of the bulletin that we need to bring to your attention because it impacts you. And inside, you'll see this green slip. Yes, VBS is coming. It's that time of year again. And uh, as we say every year, thank you, first of all, for, the, for you guys making it possible. But VBS is one of our biggest outreaches. This, for those of you that have not been here, we take all the chairs out. And this place is packed three kids high. That's how many kids there are in here. I have no idea what they're going to do this year, but I can guarantee you it's going to be crazy. And what makes it possible is you. So pay attention to this. Think about it. Pray about it. So you don't have to pray. Just check every box and help us out. <laughs> on the back of the bulletin with that in mind june 10th is the beginning of vbs and that sunday will be the sunday that we go to one service typically we're going to the amphitheater but the amphitheater will not be ready for us quite yet until july 8th the the sunday after the july 4th concert that's when it'll be open so we're going to go ahead and go to one service because we do this every year one service starting July 10th at 9 30. You'll also notice that the uh, women are having a women's retreat on there. So women, uh, start talking about that, thinking about it, signing up for it. And then finally, tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock, we have a Memorial Day ceremony at the cemetery, Dillon Cemetery. I'd like to invite you all to come. Uh, it's, it's, it's worth going to, it is. I'm one of the few pastors that's a veteran, so I get to do the invocation, and I enjoy that every year. And with that in mind, let's stop. It is Memorial Day weekend. Let's stop for just a moment, and let's remember those who have given their lives so that we could sit here today in freedom. Father, we start with the idea that we hate war. Um, We do. We hate war. And yet, as I read your Bible, I realize that conflict is part of a fallen world when we have evil people. So, Lord, right now we would like to express our gratitude to those who have given their lives so that we could sit here today. We could be here, we could stand, we could worship you freely. Lord, we are well aware that uh, there are Christians around the world in various places that don't have the freedom that we have right now. And uh, so we are very grateful for those uh, men and women who have given their lives. And Father, we remember their families, the, um, the silent victims who continue on, um, having lost someone, and uh, we just remember them. I don't know how you show your grace to so many people, Lord. I don't know how you figure out how to manage 8 billion people in the world. But I am grateful. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful that you, in your, in your own quiet and still ways, can move in the hearts of people and um, help, Lord, express our gratitude to them. Thank you for your goodness. And we long for the day When the prophecies of the scriptures become real and we can rest. And uh, no more conflict, no more war. But in the meantime, help us to be faithful. Thank you again for the men and women who have given their lives for us. In your son's name, amen. Okay. We're in Philippians. A servant's heart. That's what we're talking about. A servant's heart. This is a continuation. We've been talking along this Thread for several months now, asking the question in a variety of ways if the exile ended with the cross, and if Jesus died a very countercultural death then what does it mean for us to live a very countercultural life? And we've explored this from a variety of angles, and now we're looking in the book of Philippians. Uh, by the way, there's more than one way we could organize Philippians. This isn't the only way. Philippians is very deep in its concept of love. Love and service overflow with each other. And so we've, we decided to emphasize the service aspect just to help us give us a picture of what it means to live our lives this way. And so we're wrestling with the question of... Um, What does it mean to be a servant? And today, specifically, we're going to ask the question, what does it mean to be worthy to be a servant of Jesus? Now, when we get in here and talk about some of these principles, a worthy servant does this or does that, I don't want you to think in binary language, black and white. I must not be a servant because I'm not doing it. Because, honestly, our whole life is teaching us what it means to be a servant. That's what the Lord is all about. Remember, Philippians 1-6 from last week. I am convinced that he who began a were work, singular, you, plural, and we are on the road to being a servant. So when I start off with this first one, a servant is those with a faithful attitude. What we could do is we could actually turn it around and say, because you have a faithful attitude, that's how we know you're a servant. So this isn't an either or. This is a journey that we are on together. So I want you to think of it that way. I don't want you to go home beating yourselves up while I'm not a servant. No, no, no. That's not what our church is. Our church is very servant-oriented. That's very clear to me. So what this is designed to do when we look through these principles in this passage is to help you realize what God is doing in our midst. So the very first thing I'm going to suggest to you is that a servant who is worthy is one who has a faithful attitude. One of the most dramatic stories of all of the Bible, most of you have heard it, is in Genesis 37 through 50. It takes up a good chunk of Genesis, the last third of Genesis, and it's the story of Joseph. You remember the story? Kind of a young snot with an attitude. And uh, he goes around bragging to his brothers about uh, he's had these dreams, that they're going to bow down and bow down to him in honor and respect. And and, uh, he's second to the youngest out of 12. And uh, his brothers begin to hate him and despise him. So they come up with a plan to kill him. Well, uh, what they end up doing is selling him to a caravan that goes to Egypt. They sell him into slavery. So he makes his way down. Can you imagine, just for a moment, your siblings, your brothers, take you and sell you into slavery? Wow. I can't imagine what that's like. How he could forgive that. I mean, what would he be thinking through all the years? He ends up in uh, Potiphar's house as a trusted servant. Pretty soon, soon Potiphar's wife has a thing for him and tries to get him to... uh, be involved with her in an inappropriate way. and He declines. So she frames him, accuses him of sexual harassment. Boy, these stories, nothing new under the sun, is there? (laughs) This is our world today. So I'm almost afraid to pick up the phone and see who's next has been accused of sexual harassment. Well, that happened. Except here it was reverse. She was in the position of uh, leadership and authority and he refused. And so she gets him sent to prison. You remember the story. He's in prison for a long time. He finally gets out because he, he interprets the Pharaoh's dream. Next thing you know, he's promoted to the very highest level. Second only to Pharaoh. And is put in charge of all the grain and the corn and the wheat and everything and the food because there's a worldwide famine, at least in that part of the world. Then as God would have it, this is now many, many years later after his brothers sell him in to slavery. He's now a grown man and he's in charge of Egypt, probably dressed like an Egyptian, looks like one. And so the next thing he knows is he has his, his brothers, 10 of them standing before him. They came up, uh, they came down from the, the land of Judah to get some food. He recognizes them. They don't recognize him. So he puts them through a series of tests. To see what, in fact, um, you could take that down right now, for now, they, they take they. He puts them through a series of tests to see what they would do, how they would respond, how their heart has been shaped, and he learns through the testing that that they have actually matured. They've actually matured, and then you have that great the great moment in time in history where he reveals himself to them. And they are stunned. Absolutely stunned. Why are they stunned? What do they expect from him? He's now second in command of all of Egypt. What would almost every human on the planet do in that situation? Abuse, torture, execute, get vengeance. And he doesn't do that, does he? In fact, he sends him and says, go get my father and bring him back. And he does that. Okay, he's back. Pharaoh gives him the land of Goshen. They're living in the land of Goshen. They're growing and multiplying. They're doing all of that. number of years go by. So now it's been many, many, many years since they sold him into slavery. And their father dies. Now they know they're in trouble. Because the only reason he was kind to them was because their father was alive. What would every human just about on the planet do? Then we have this fantastic verse. They go to to Jacob. Now you can put it back up. They go to Jacob at the very, very end of Genesis. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, I just love this, your father left these instructions before he died. We don't have a record that he said this. He may have. Uh, I don't think he did. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers sin and the sins and wrongs that they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. You see, their repentance is intact, but they're still thinking they're still thinking like the world. Joseph is going to get his vengeance on us. He's in the position to do this. And then you have the all-time, one of the all-time honored verses of the Bible in Genesis chapter 50, verse 19. Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. By the way, I, this if it's not the most repeated command, I've heard that it is, it's like second. Don't be afraid. In the Bible. It's all throughout the Bible. Every book. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? I love that. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Do you think he thought this way back all those years before when he's being hauled off on the way to Egypt? You meant it for evil god meant it for good so then don't be afraid he says it a second time i will provide for you and your children and he reassured them and spoke kindly to them this is the story of philippians one where we're going today this is the story you see he recognized that he was in a place where he shouldn't have been it wasn't his fault but his faith was strong faith was strong. Many of you have been in these shoes. Some of you are in it right now. Some of you are going to be in it again. That's just the way the Lord works in our lives in a fallen world. Paul would have known the story of Joseph. He also would have known of a similar story with another Jew, Jesus. He was falsely accused, unjustly executed, And yet, through the resurrection, God reveals that he meant it for good. Forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. We could go on and on. We have uh, Stephen, when he was stoned. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They found themselves in a place where it wasn't their doing, and it was unjust. It was not right. Absolutely not right. And yet they had a higher calling, a higher theology, a higher level of faith. God meant it for good. So these models help Paul understand his own situation. Philippians 1, 12, and 13. He's now in prison. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. He's now in prison, probably in another country. So we, to us, people go to prison and they have life taken care of them, for them. People get degrees in prison, watch TV in prison, see movies. Not so in the ancient world. They didn't even feed you. They were not going to spend a penny on you except for a guard. In order for you to survive, you had to rely on other people. You were dependent. Completely dependent. Dependent. He had to rely on others. The fact that Christians from another country would send money, aid, is remarkable. Last week we talked about the idea of koinonia, fellowship. Here is true fellowship in a biblical sense. People that have nothing to gain, probably from another country across the sea, sending aid to take care of him, having all things in common. Because there was a need. That's what true koinonia, that's what true fellowship is all about. But it's worse than that. The imperial, the Roman imperial guard who's here, they're now well aware that there was a man in their custody who was going around proclaiming a different gospel than the gospel of Rome. Remember last week we talked about the gospel of Rome. Caesar had his own gospel. They worship Caesar. Caesar is Lord. And Paul say, no, Jesus is Lord. And the moment you start saying that language, you're guilty, potentially guilty of being a seditionist. They now know they have a seditionist, somebody with a very subversive message in their midst. I would love to, I can't wait to talk to Paul about what it was like. He's just relentless in telling them about Jesus and they can't, their hands are tied. What can they do? They can't beat him. He's a Roman citizen. Right? He has rights. And so they're forced, they're captive he's the captive but they're the ones that are captive and they're sitting there and having to hear this and yet god is creating good out of the situation look in verse 14 and because of my chains most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear okay pause let's put him back where joseph was he's in prison for unjust reasons What would almost every human on the planet do in this situation? Be frustrated? Demand their rights? How many of us would stop and say, I have confidence, Romans 8, 28. For we know that God works for the good to those who are called, which is you, by the way. In the middle of the worst situation you can imagine, we already looked at Acts 16 last week. This isn't his first time in jail. It's not his first time to be, beat, to be treated badly for unjust reasons. We'd be dem- I'd be demanding my rights if I wasn't careful. I'd be frustrated if I wasn't careful. Right? Romans 8. We know that God works for the good to all those who are called. That's us. That's what's happening right here. So, verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. Why would why would people preach Christ out of envy and rivalry? Why would they do that? That sounds crazy to us to get to the next verse. The latter do, so, do it out of love. They're preaching it out of goodwill. Knowing that I am put here in the defense for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. The Roman guards are standing right there. The imperial guards. He's a seditionist preaching a subversive message. And they're trying to anger his guards. And so they're out doing, preaching Christ, getting these guards even more riled up, hoping that he's going to get beat even more. Amazing how you can twist the truth into really bad things. And that's what they're doing. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Isn't this our story? Many of you have gone through something like this, right? We all go through tough, discouraging times. Our plans are often thwarted. Malicious people try to hurt us. We found ourselves in very unjust situations, relationships. We suffer various ailments, but we can learn something from Joseph, Jesus, Paul, Stephen, and many others. God is always at work. Always. He is always at work for his glory and to accomplish his mission remember what he said in 118 the important thing is that in every way whether from false false motives or true christ is preached and because of this i rejoice how strong is your faith do you believe this this is what it means to be a servant this is who is worthy of servanthood Someone who can still turn back to the lord and say i have confidence in you One of the questions I've asked some of you that are going through really tough times is, is your faith strong enough for this period of testing? It's a question we need to wrestle with. You find out you have cancer. Is your faith strong enough to handle this kind of cancer? Found out your spouse is, is not faithful to you. Is your faith strong enough to walk this road? I've asked that of several of you. Well, then he moves on. The second, second quality of a worthy person, those who are faithful to the mission of God. this is in the next section. You see, Paul wants to convince the Philippian believers that whatever happens to him in his present situation, his present imprisonment, that it's all going to turn out for the good. eighteen, the second half of eighteen. Uh, yes, he had just said that Christ is being preached from different motives, but it doesn't matter because of this I rejoice, and he goes on, "Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect... Now, when we read this passage, think it through with me like this. We are given a glimpse into the heart of a man who's wrestling through where he is. This is not just rhetoric. He's just not writing these words down. He's giving us insight into his own wrestling, which we go through when we're in this situation. We're trying to balance between this isn't fair, this isn't right, but I trust God, but what happening is not right, but God's going to do something good. I mean, we go back and forth. You've all been there. That's why we ask the question, why would God do this to me? This is a glimpse into why, right here. I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body whether I live or die. Whether I live or die. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. His heart, his entire thinking His theology, in other words, is properly centered on eternity. As he says elsewhere, these are momentary light afflictions compared to the eternal weight of glory. The tension between living now and going to be with Christ should be the very heart of our theology. I think it's very appropriate. I hear pastors all over the world say we shouldn't ask the question why. I think that's the right question to ask. Why me? Why does God have so much confidence in me that he would do what he's doing? Because that's really what's happening. Whatever God takes you through, He has that kind of confidence in you that He can throw you to the wolves, just like He did with Job. And that's what Paul's talking about here. The question He's wrestling with is will He survive His present predicament, or will the Roman Empire decide that He's better off dead? What's astounding is He agrees with the Roman Empire, He's better off dead. you ever think that way about life? Hmm. He's obviously in love with the Messiah. Look what he does next. If, verse 22. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is by far better. I long for that. I long for the day when I can rest. No more war, no more conflict, no more tension. I long for that day. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced to this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. So, While he desires to be with Christ, he's also committed to the Philippians. This is sacrificial love. We tend to think of it the opposite. The sacrifice is to die. No, the sacrifice is to remain. This is good theology. The sacrifice is to remain in a broken world for your benefit. He sees the fruit of his remaining, even if it means suffering Uh, And by the way, he knows that there's more coming. He knows that there's more work for him to do. He knows that there's more conflict coming. But he's not interested in his happiness. That's not what's driving him, his comfort. What's driving him is a deep and passionate love for other believers. That's what's driving it. But even if they decide to execute him, he wants him to know that he's ready for it and quite happy with it. He's quite happy with it. Is that your desire? You know, when you go through the events of life, what God is doing is He's shaping within you a commitment to the mission. It, you don't start out that way. None of you start out at, out of high school, graduation. You think about doing great things for the Lord, but when it really comes down to it and you're put in prison and you're beat, no, that's not really what you're thinking, then, is it? When things don't go your way and you're really in trouble, it's really hard to get to the place where you say, can I trust God? It's a journey. So this is the evidence that you are worthy, is that God is shaping this commitment to His mission in your life. That's the evidence of it. Many of you were here three years ago when I stood up and said I was diagnosed with cancer. <clears throat> I had to go through that journey. I did, and I had to ask myself the Am I ready to dust? It sounded kind of attractive to be with the Lord. On to the next chapter. And yet, I was really caught. Because I know you. I know my grandchildren. And my children. And I had that feeling. I went through this passage many times. I have that feeling. God has more work for me to do. By His grace, here I am. This is an aspect of maturity that has formed slowly over time. This is the evidence that you are worthy is because it's growing inside of you, this maturity. You don't start off this way. You don't start off this way. Well, look at the final section. Who is worthy? Those who live appropriately. Paul opens with how to live appropriately in verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is a fun little verse because this is where a little bit of cultural background can help us. In 42 BC, okay, 42 BC, Mark Antony and Octavian defeated Brutus and Cassius. Those were the two who assassinated Julius Caesar, and they were on the plains near Philippi. So when they defeated them, as a reward, Philippi was awarded the status of a Roman colony, and they were given citizenship, which was a very high-value commodity. Not everybody had Roman citizenship, and with even in the citizenship, there were levels of citizenship. Paul was asked at one time by the one of the guards, Are you a citizen? He said, Yes, I was born a citizen. He said, and the guard said, Wow, I had to buy mine. Paul had a higher level of citizenship because he was naturally born. So Philippi was given citizenship. The army, when they discharged the veterans, they were given land in Philippi as a reward. So these people here understood citizenship. The verb that Paul uses here is the verb polituomai. I don't give Greek too often unless it might help you. Polituomai. Think about where this slowly evolves eventually into English. Politics. It's citizenship. So when he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy, what he's saying is live as good citizens. Good citizens of what? The gospel of Christ. He's, the only place he uses this word is in Philippi, where they were granted citizenship as a gift. They understood the value of it. <clears throat> The heart of being a good citizen is understanding that Jesus is already the true Lord of the world. This the gospel of Christ, the good news of the King, the good news of the Messiah, that he is already reigning. He's going to say later on, we get to Roman, uh, Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven. I'm grateful to live in this country, but I'm a citizen of heaven. And then look how he finishes. Then... Whether I see, you come and see you, or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them <clears throat> that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, that by God. For it has been granted, I love this verse, this is a verb for the word grace, which we don't have in English. For to you it has been graced by God. It has been granted. This is an act of grace that not only to believe in his name, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Okay, now after going through this, why is it important that we suffer? Why is that important? That's the shaping process. That's the evidence that we are worthy. That God has confidence in us. But far more than one of the primary means for reflecting His gospel, His good news to the world around us, because they understand suffering. That's the language we have in common. What they don't understand is when we act in grace, in the midst of suffering. Who would have thought Joseph would do that? Who would have thought Jesus would go to the execution, not saying a word, Isaiah 53? Who would expect Stephen, when he's being stoned, to say, forgive them? Who would expect Paul to say, they're preaching from envy, but that's okay, they're still preaching Christ? You see how unique it is when we respond appropriately? So he concludes with, we need to stand together. I am convinced that he who began a good work in you, all of us as a church, we need to stand together. We need to stand firm. We need to strive together for the good news of the gospel. We need to be courageous. We need to be willing to suffer. Are we willing to do this? Becoming a servant takes work, discipline, intentionality. Are we as a church moving in that direction or are we just a bunch of churchgoers? I know lots of churches full of churchgoers. Where are you on that spectrum, that continuum? Next week, we're going to talk about Philippians 2. This is where Paul is heading all along. The ultimate example of everything he's been teaching us will be in Christ. The famous passage on the emptying of Christ. What we just read was Paul's own journey of coming to the same conclusion that Jesus reached. It's far better to remain with you. Father, thank you for, thank you for your goodness. Jesus, thank you for your willingness to walk that road uh, for our benefit. Thank you for that. We are grateful. And Lord, it's very appropriate that we would be here on Memorial Day weekend where many have sacrificed their lives for us to stand here today. And uh, it is far better to be here because people need us. This world needs us. And they need us to suffer because they need us to show grace in the midst of it. They need us to—they need to be able to see that, so they can come to you. So, continue to work with us as a church. Continue to build into us a worthy heart, a servant's heart of serving each other and serving our own community. In your son's name, Amen. God, I ask the ushers to come forward and take the offer